Okay, I'm back. All right. Um, had to redo this stream. So let's get into it. All Talk Radio live in 4K. Don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe. U.S. vetoes U.N. resolutions for immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. U.K. abstains. Can't blame them because U.S. government is funding both sides of the war. The U.S. voted against a, a draft U.N. Security Council resolution calling for an urgent humanitarian ceasefire between Israel and Hamas in the Gaza Strip. The vote in the 15-member council was 13 to 1, with the United Kingdom abstaining. The move comes after the U.N. Security Council General, Secretary General, sorry, Antonio Guterres formally warned of a global threat from the conflict. In contra. Against. Wow. And this isn't a, this isn't a white person. Wow person of color voting against a ceasefire in Gaza that could help save lives. Once again, they're funding both sides of the war and they also want that oil. Abstenciones. Abstentions. El resultado de la the result of the vote. They also want that oil, the United Kingdom. <laughs> this is this is pathetic, man. This is pathetic. It is as follows: thirteen votes in favor, one against, one abstention. El proyecto de the draft resolution has not been approved due to the veto of a permanent member of the Security Council. Sky News reports the vote followed an emergency meeting that was called after the UN Security General invoked a rare power that hadn't been used since 1971. Article 99 allows Antonio Guterres to raise threats that he sees to international peace and security, and he warned of humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza. Mr. Guterres has told the council there is no effective protection of civilians. The people of Gaza are being told to move like human pinballs, ricocheting between ever smaller silvers, slivers of the South without any of the basics for survival, but nowhere is in Gaza is safe. America's veto prompt criticism with the, with the UAE's deputy ambassador asking, what is the message we are sending to Palestinians if we cannot unite behind a call to halt the relentless bombardment of Gaza. The U.S. and Israel oppose a ceasefire because they believe it would only benefit Hamas. Instead, Washington supports humanitarian pauses like the seven-day truce that ended last week. Robert Wood, the deputy U.S. ambassador to the U.N., had warned the proposal was unsustainable and would only plan plant the seeds for the next war. He went on to criticize the resolution for failing to condemn Hamas's attack on Israel's civilians in October, which killed more than 1,200 people. 
Barbara Woodward, the UK's permanent representative to the UN, made similar remarks, adding calling for a ceasefire ignores the fact that Hamas has committed acts of terror and is still holding civilians hostages. What about Netanyahu uh, supporting Hamas? What about Israel knowing a year in advance that Hamas is going to attack them? The Israeli government. What about that? They wouldn't have been able to attack if Israel hadn't have, you know, the Israeli government hadn't have just offered their citizens as lambs to the slaughter just to have a land grab. What about that? Okay. Hamas, 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 but the U.S. and Netanyahu have been support have been supporting Hamas. It's my issue here. And Israel controls the United States. Okay? Controls the media, controls the government. And I'll show you proof. Fair use. From the House floor, Representative Thomas Massey tweeted yesterday that this week I will vote against House Resolution 894. Anti-Zionism isn't anti-Semitism. The resolution states that all anti-Semitism is anti-Zionism. That is either intellectually disingenuous or just factually wrong. The most senior Jewish member of the House. More problematically, the resolution suggests that all anti-Zionism, it states that all anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. That is either intellectually disingenuous or just factually wrong. And it unfairly implicates many of my orthodox former constituents in Brooklyn, many of whose families rose from the ashes of the Holocaust. While most anti-Semitism is indeed anti-Semitic, the authors, if they were at all familiar with Jewish history and culture, should know about Jewish anti-Zionism that was and is expressly not anti-Semitic. This resolution ignores the fact that even today, certain Orthodox Hasidic Jewish communities, the Satmar in New York and others, as well as adherents of the pre-Jewish state, uh, pre-state Jewish labor movement, have held views that are at odds with the modern Zionist conception. Glenn Greenwald tweeted in response to the resolution, it's not the role of Congress to dictate to Americans which political views are and are not racist, that this is done to condemn Americans in order to protest a foreign country makes it all the more repressive. But of course, it will pass with overwhelming bipartisan support. So we just saw a clip of the you know most senior uh, Jewish member of the House who has- What did I just tell you? Israel controls the government the media, the Israeli government, sorry, I should put it that way, the Israeli government controls the media. And this is something that has been known for years, okay? And it's coming, it's right in our faces right now. So get ready for content creators to have their channels blocked, shadow banned, or deleted. Because now they're saying that uh, 
If you're anti-Zionist, you're anti-Semitic. If you don't believe, you, if you are against Jewish supremacy, you are against Jews. And let me say something else: there are Jews that are against anti, or that are against Zionism. And I don't, I don't, I don't hate Jews at all. Well, what's going on in Israel is wrong, especially with the, you know, sterilizing of Ethiopian Jewish women without their knowledge. Okay. The mistreatment of non-Jews in Israel. Has frankly not been overly sympathetic to pro-Palestinian protesters or shown what I would describe as kind of a, an overflow of solidarity with um, the members of the squad who have come out and done vigils for deceased Palestinians as well as Israelis and the like. But even he in this moment seems to think that this resolution, which explicitly ties and connects anti-Semitism to anti-Zionism, is a bridge too far. And the reason he, you know, states there is specifically because there are so many Jewish pro-Palestinian activists that would be implicated by this rule. Right. And frankly, even if anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism were synonymous, which I don't believe is the case. Um, what business is it of U.S. Congress to weigh in on whether Americans' speech is deplorable? Um, I would feel this way about a generic condemnation of uh, basically any kind of ism. Um, isms are bad. You can have your feelings about them, for sure. But we have the First Amendment here. And while Congress, I guess, has the right to do these kind of empty statements of moral superiority, um, I don't think it's a good use of their time. And it does start to get into, well, they shouldn't, they're the government. They shouldn't be making broad, sweeping statements about about constitutional legal speech. It is constitutional, it is legal to say anti-Semitic things, to say racist things, to say gendered things, to say, like that is, that is your right. You don't have a right to engage in violence based on those motivations. If they wanna condemn violence, um, that's their prerogative. Yeah. Um, they should do something about violence in the jurisdictions for which they're representatives of. But um, just weighing in on Americans' speech rights is not something I want my Congress to spend any time doing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful to people like Representative Thomas Massey, who is a, 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 a ideological figure kind of close to my own thinking on a lot of issues. So I'm, I'm not surprised to see him, um, you know, taking the stand at all. It's very consistent with what he said about the Israel-Palestine conflict and in general, but uh, very, very happy to see it nonetheless. Yeah, he was the only person to vote no on the last kind of version of this bill, yeah. uh, this resolution. And even Rashida Tlaib voted present on that one, not no. So he has been showing a lot of um, backbone in this regard. I mean, just as a thought experiment, can you imagine what would happen or how I think some of the folks who are championing these kinds of resolutions would react if Congress decided to say, pass a resolution saying that if you think uh, you know, trans people should identify uh, with the gender of their birth and that there are only, mm -hmm. uh, there's only, there's as many genders as people want to be and they just tried to pass that into law. How upset people would be about it? Now, I, I personally do believe that people should identify as how they want mm -hmm. and take no issue with that. But I can obviously see that mandating that everyone take the same rhetorical view or ideological view that I have is a gross overreach that you have to question what the intent of that is. <clears throat> the intent of it is to crush <clears throat> any dissenting opinions, any uh, real 
news media commentary about what's really going on. <clears throat> okay. And they don't, a lot of people who are pro Israel, no matter what Israel does, do not like that facts are coming out about Netanyahu, the Israeli government, the order of return, about how, uh, you know, uh, Jewish rabbis who commit horrible crimes against kids could have run to Israel and avoid um, avoid justice. All right. People do not like that. They do not like the fact that people are finding out even more that uh, what's been going on between Israel and Palestine has been going on way before October 7th. Okay. Israel has been doing the Palestinians dirty for a very long time, causing the Palestinians to retaliate. And this is what we're going through now. People do their research, they'll find out. Now, let's talk about um, something that's very rarely hear about okay um we already know about okay israel what they've been doing but let's talk about should we already know blacks shouldn't support israel but what about blacks supporting palestine should blacks support palestine is that something that black people should be doing what about the blacks in palestine let's look into that Palestinians are racist to black people. If you look around, it's black people that are out there advocating for the rights of Palestinians. This should be a lesson for Palestinians and the Arab community in general. So stop being racist towards black people. Allah says he will not change a people until they change themselves. So if you're there making that saying, oh Allah, why are the Israeli soldiers um, racist to the Arabs and they're doing all of these things to the Palestinian people and you can't understand why this is happening you as an Arab you as a Palestinian like how many of you are racist to people that are black Palestinians okay all right what people don't understand is the fact that uh, Palestinians are Arabs and people have to look into the uh, Arab slave trade Let's look into another one. Melanated dominant people, sons and daughters of my ancient mother. 
I have been inundated with Muslims um, in my inbox, threatening me, saying I'm spreading hate, black people, um, telling me how dare I not uh, um, stand against um, Palestine. So I tried to stay out of it, but I'm not going to be able to. Um, so I'm in it. Okay. Never intended for what happened to me at the store to go like it did, but it did. Okay. So let's just have a real talk. Okay. I'm going to add the articles in, um, the link because they are important for you to understand. So there is a neighborhood in Gaza, um, on the Gaza Strip, where 11,000 um, Afro-Palestinians live. It is called Al-Abib. You know what that, neighbor, what that means? Slave. Yes, that is where black people live. And that is what the Arabics called that neighborhood, slaves, the land of the slaves. I'm going to drop the articles so you can hear from Afro-Palestinians how they're treated in Palestine. It is very similar to how we're treated right here in America. Okay. You're going to hear stories of Afro-Palestinians being pulled out of taxi cab and searched because they were black. You're going to hear stories of Afro-Palestinians telling you how when black Palestinian women walk down the street, they call them out their name, okay, by their skin color. Um, chocolate, cappuccino, hey, cappuccino, hey, hey, uh, um, chocolate, hey, black. But the neighborhood, if that doesn't reach you, melanated dominant people, can you imagine 11,000 black Palestinians looking just like you, being humiliated in their home and their land and they compound while the Arabs and Muslims are being oppressed, they still had time to oppress black people there in Gaza. This is what I'm saying, man. I mean, what is the sense of, you know, all right, we don't support Israel, but you support people uh, Palestinians that don't really like you, okay? And they know they want, they need support, so they're going to try and pretend to be your friend. I mean, black people have been getting the short end of the stick in America for the longest, and to participate in that when it comes to this situation is just glutton for punishment. Black people have to unite and think for themselves when it comes to, you know what? Um, I feel bad for the people, the citizens of Gaza and Israel, what they're suffering. But at the same time, I can't be helped because you guys are going to you have a history of turning on me. Why? No. All right. No. And other blacks should be aware of this issue. Why are you helping 
people that would don't think twice about selling you. In the Middle East, they're still selling black people. They have an auction block, okay, where blacks are put on the auction block and Arabs, slave masters, are saying, are bidding on them. It's happening, like, just like it happened in the South, in the United States, they're doing it in the Middle East. Helping Palestinians, I don't know about that, man. I really don't. So I do not condone the loss of life on any side. So I can't stand with anyone, okay? What I am standing with is that is none of my business. But if it was my business, then it would be toward the melanated dominant people that suffer racism on both sides. Did you know that the Israel was given Ethiopian women Depa Bavera shots because they didn't want them coming into Israel and having children? According to the Talmud, you could do this. Just make sure they don't know that you're doing it. They were sterilizing black women. Afro-Palestinians living in a neighborhood called Al-Abib. Slave. Can you imagine little black kids going home saying, oh yeah, you stay in the neighborhood of the slaves. Come on, melanated, dominant people. I know we can do better than this. It don't, it don't, it take five minutes of research before you go and run and say we stand with Palestinians or we stand with Israel. I stand with people that do not all hurt, already hurt people, my people, melanated, dominant people. It's amazing to me how we are so easily roped into somebody else's fight, but we don't look, we don't open up closet doors and start looking at who we run into their fight. I pray every day for war to never be a part of our, our, our life here on this planet. But what I'm not going to do is stand with Palestine, where Palestine has a neighborhood with 11,000 blacks called Al-Abib, slave. To be Palestinian, that's uh, a big problem. But to be a black Palestinian, I'm quite convinced it will be there. Because uh, as a black Palestinian, I am double oppressed. 
First of all, they oppress me as a Palestinian. Secondly, they oppress me because of my color. Whenever I go around in the Israeli side, they call me Kushi. Kushi means n****. The more they humiliate me, the more they oppress me, the more I stick to my land. Because this is my land. I'm so rooted. We are deeply rooted as Africans, as Palestinian Africans in this land. Let's hear that again. To be Palestinian, that's a big problem. But to be a black Palestinian, I'm quite convinced it will be the hell. Because as a black Palestinian, I am double oppressed. First of all, they oppress me as a Palestinian. Secondly, they oppress me because of my color. Whenever I go around in the Israeli side, they call me Kushi. Kushi means n****. The more they humiliate me, the more they oppress me, the more I stick to my land. Because this is my land. I'm so rooted. We are deeply rooted as Africans, as Palestinian Africans in this land. Sad, man. It's really sad. Mainstream media isn't going to tell you this. They're not. They're not going to tell you this at all. They want black people docile. They want black people to always be a helping hand. But if you dare think for yourself and have a backbone, now you're the bad guy. Slavery never left. It just took a different form. Okay. And they'll put black people against each other. All right. House Negro, field Negro. Black American against African. Haitian against Carib against uh, West Indian. Sad state of affairs, man. And that's what's going on. Check out this article right here. People will say that, oh, you're making this up. No, I'm not. And this is an article from April 17th, 2022. Afro-Palestinians face double the harassment and double the racism. Nasrin Salim is an Afro-Palestinian from Egypt who has been mocked due to their skin color and hair for most of her young life. The 25-year-old is one of the at least 400 Afro-Palestinians from Nigeria, Egypt, Chad, Senegal, and Sudan who live within the walls of occupied Jerusalem's old city adjacent to Al-Aski's mosque. The hardest part was when I started he when I started hating everything about myself because I was being pointed at and attacked verbally by both Palestinians and Jews everywhere. And I went everywhere I went, she told me. We faced double the harassment and double the racism for being Palestinian and for being black. Israel soldiers are always cursing the black Palestinians and interrogating them whenever they pass by. This is how most people in the community in my community grow up. Working as a photojournalist on 18th of October last year, Salim set out to film the violent raids carried out by Israeli forces at the Damascus Gate into the old city. 
that serves as a popular gathering spot for many Palestinians. The day sticks out in her memory, not for the raid itself, nor for the tear gas and the sound bomb attacks that followed, but for what happened to her afterwards. She was alone covering events as they unfolded when she was approached by several Israeli soldiers at a military checkpoint. They assaulted her following a brief interrogation. I was taking some videos for my work and the Israeli soldiers knew every journalist in Damascus Gate and Jerusalem, so they are quick to identify us during clashes. They know us all very well and our names, and our names, which is why I believe that they had decided in advance that they were going to arrest me. During the arrest, so the soldiers shouted racist abuse, of in, racist abuse, including slave, and kicked and beat her until she was numb with fright and pain. Still visibly traumatized, she explained how they kicked her. How many of the soldiers were standing over me and I was shocked. I froze because I didn't know what to do. During the investigation, they accused me of kicking the soldiers even though that didn't happen. Then they wanted to know who I was working for and accused me again of sending photos and playing political games. She was detained for 13 hours following her inter interrogation. The biggest problem when you're in an Israeli jail is that you don't know what's happening outside. You don't know if it's morning or evening. It felt like time had stopped. The food which was they gave us was unclean, and even though I was on my period, they banned me from using the bathroom. It was the hardest 13 hours of my life. She is convinced that the purpose of the attack and interrogation was to deter her from documenting Israelis' abuses against Palestinians. Among Palestinian journalists, she is far from alone in being attacked in this way. Journalism is a pillar of democracy that should be able to hold those in power into, uh, to account. It comes as no surprise, therefore, that Israel takes extreme measures to block any accurate reporting of the rights violations and crimes committed by its security forces in the occupied Palestinian territories. I knew the risks involved as a journalist. It's a dangerous, it is dangerous here in Palestinian society. It's also judgmental about women becoming journalists. Females were told they should prioritize getting married and having children. However, women can balance both a career and family. She came across the community's attitude towards women journalists after graduating from Bizarre University north of Ramallah. Her mother, she said, is both scared for her and proud of her ambitions and achievements. I'm used to society making everything a problem for me, but I've learned to be confident in my decision, in my decisions and in myself. Growing up as a member of a racially minority, feelings of isolation and exclusion are all too common. Such feelings are shared by other black Palestinians. Some of her earliest memories included racism from both Palestinians and Israelis playing outside as a child. She said children would point at her and ask her, why is her skin so dark? Damn. She's black because of the sun, her mother would explain, or she's black because God put her in a very hot place. This had a very negative impact on her self-confidence. It wasn't until I started reading books and learning about the history of Afro-Palestinians that I started to gain in confidence and learned to love myself and my culture. Over the years, though, she has noticed a change of attitude towards Afro-Palestinians. There is more tolerance and less racism. 
things are slow, changing slowly. In the past, many politicians, people didn't like to marry our community just because we are black. They have this image stuck in their head that black people are slaves. Even our braids mean slavery to them. And so our people used to try and get change their hair. The current generation Afro-Palestinians is different, she believes, because of the internet. We can browse and connect with others who look like us and appreciate our unique features. The internet helped me to love and accept myself and others who are very different from the majority. And I'm able to share everything I learned with my friends and peers who are not familiar with the black experience and history in Palestine. Her pursuit of journalism was inspired in part by this drive. Mainstream and social media news about Palestinians is filled with pictures of people with light skin and brown, even blonde red hair. So I posted on social media about myself. People were shocked. As a result, she concluded she intends to be a, the journalist who reports on and shows the diversity among Palestinians. This will include the Afro-Palestinians until everyone knows about my community near Al-Asisk Mosque. Well, there you have it, man. There you have it. People have, black people don't have any business as well as not supporting Israel, but not supporting uh, Palestine. Okay. But here's also another story here um, about blacks getting reparations. And uh, this is in the Caribbean. Prime Minister Barbados is doing just that. Let's check it out. You apologize. That's the first thing. Hold up. Let's back that up a bit. What do you do when you make a mistake? Was it a mistake for the British to come to India and mistreat, abuse, beat, possibly unalive Indians? Was it a mistake? Hmm? Right? It's a mistake, right? Hmm? Mistake. It's not a mistake. What the Europeans did to the people of Barbados, what the Europeans did in Africa with colonization, that was not a mistake. Let's get that straight. You apologize. That's the first thing. Oh, and also, yeah, yeah. Uh, question. Would she say what the Germans did to the Jews during World War II was a mistake? Would she dare talk about that? Would she say it like that? What do you do when you make a mistake when it comes to the Holocaust? Would she say something like that? I think not. Let's keep going. But what if that mistake killed millions of people, impoverished millions more, plundered entire continents and left generations with trauma? I don't think an apology cuts it then. And that's what former colonies are saying to European countries. A sorry is not enough. You need to pay up. And leading that charge is Barbados. Their prime minister is in the UK right now. Her name is Mia Motley. And I must say, she's done her homework. She did not just make an appeal for reparations. She came with an exact figure, $4.9 trillion. 
that's how much he wants European countries to pay Barbados, $4.9 trillion. Most of it is for slavery. Around 450,000 slaves were trafficked to Barbados. Only 375,000 made it alive, and the rest, they died at sea. Around 30,000 slaves died working on the plantations. They died working for European powers. So Barbados wants the UK to pay up. But where did the 4.9 trillion come from? A report published by the Brattle Group. It's a consulting company based in the US. It specializes in complex calculations, like how much do European countries owe for slavery? The numbers will surprise you. The UK owes $24 trillion to 14 countries. Barbados is one of them, 24 trillion for the UK. Spain, $17 trillion. France, $9 trillion. And the Netherlands, $4.8 trillion. Now, these numbers may sound like a lot. $24 trillion is eight times the UK's national GDP. $17 trillion is 12 times the Spanish GDP. So how can these claims be realistic? Well, the Barbados Prime Minister has an answer. She says, don't take them out of context. This wealth was accumulated over decades and centuries. If you think like that, the numbers are small. And we agree. Here in India, colonial reparations are a hot topic. A couple of years back, the foreign minister also spoke about it. He said Britain looted $45 trillion from India. Imagine that, $45 trillion taken away. That's 13 times India's current GDP. And colonialism does not just take away money. It takes away confidence, it takes away time, and it takes away self-respect. Sometimes it can take decades to regain those. So if anything... 45 trillion is too less. Now, coming back to Barbados, their prime minister took charge in 2018, and since then, she's been campaigning for reparations. She's also hosted a summit in July this year, a summit for reparations. A number of African and Caribbean nations attended the summit. They agreed on the demand for reparations. And last month, they followed up on it. The African Union and Caribbean nations created a joint fund. We're talking about 75 countries in total. They've asked European nations to pour money into this fund. Do not expect anyone to actually do it. Most former colonial powers use the same strategy. They will admit that colonialism was wrong. They will say it was a mistake. But they won't do the two things that really matter. Apologize and pay. They don't do it. Just look at Britain. King Charles was supposed to be the progressive king. Last year, he gave a landmark speech at the Commonwealth meeting. He said, it's time to acknowledge the impact of slavery. And that speech is what spurred Barbados. Their prime minister thought apology and reparations would follow. And she was wrong. Charles is yet to apologize. So is his prime minister, Rishi Sunak. I want to ask the Prime Minister today if he will do what Bernie Grant asked all those years ago, what I have asked and what countless others have asked since, and offer a full and meaningful apology for our country's role in slavery and colonialism and commit to reparatory justice. Yeah. Minister. Uh, well, no, 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 Mr Speaker. That, what I think our focus should now be on doing is, of course, understanding our history in all its parts, not running away from it, uh, but right now making sure that we have a society which is inclusive and tolerant of people from all backgrounds. You see what I'm saying? You see, this is <laughs> this is why Dem this is why Democratic Party does not work. It does not work. It doesn't care about black people. Republicans, conservatives, they definitely don't care about you.
Democrats don't care. What he said is Democrat. That is Democrat talking points right there. Okay. I'm sure if this was reparations for Indians, he would be definitely on board. But when it comes to blacks, no, we have to make it inclusive. That is the go-to. Whenever it comes about wrongs that needs to be corrected that were done to black people, oh, we got to make it inclusive. What about everybody? Everybody was a slave back in the day. Slavery is part of the human condition. Okay? That's how it is, unfortunately. And blacks have to unite. Blacks from Palestine. Blacks from the Middle East. Blacks in Africa. You want reparations? You need allies. Black Americans. And get stop listening to Tariq Nasheed. Stop listening to Dr. Umar Johnson. Stop listening to all these grifters. Nine times out of ten, they're being paid by white supremacy. Nine times out of ten. Because this is a war to get reparations. That's what it is. And until blacks understand that, they're constantly going to be used and abused. There is no other way around it. It just isn't. Forget Israel, forget Palestine when it comes to support because they don't care about you. That has to be the line. That has to be the line. Democrats don't even support black businesses. Kamala Harris was for supporting businesses, but you don't see nobody, nobody black, a black business owner in that photo she did a couple of days ago. Yet they have the audacity to ask for your vote and try to shame you when you want tangibles. The only way is to back out and voting and not to go off top. Voting for Trump is not going to help you either because Trump is a Zionist. Okay. Don't believe me? Do the research. Okay, that's all I got for now. Anything you want to know about this channel is in the description box. Other than that, like, share, comment, and subscribe. Later. Also, I'm on Patreon as well. Later.